This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We get an opportunity to shine the spotlight on our guest tonight on Katie Goss. Of course, Katie, a ringside reporter for the Avalanche over at Altitude TV. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie underscore Goss. That's a G-A-U-S. How's it going, Katie? Hello, guys. How are you? Good. Ready for some more hockey, although I wish I was in Seattle watching it in person. Yeah, obviously the Avs getting attention early on from a national uh, yes. broadcast to find themselves on ESPN. You know, you will be uh, uh, with them when they get going on uh, Saturday when the uh, Avs and uh, the host, the Hurricanes, they'll be the next yeah. broadcast on, on Altitude, so catch Katie there. But uh, this team starting off well, let, let's take a look at these first couple games. And obviously they get the wins that they had to, they had to kind of continue pounding uh, against the Sharks because Mackenzie Blackwood absolutely was terrific in that game. But I, I would like your thoughts specifically right off on that uh, top line. Now, we know what Ranthonen's going to do. We know what McKinnon can do. We know they've off to good starts with the points. But Jonathan Drouin in that top line, uh, he does have an assist. How has he looked? Does it look like it's going to be a fit? For sure. So, of course, that top line is so powerful, so much speed, so much skill not an easy role to just jump right into and Phil you have to have a really good hockey IQ you kind of have to have eyes in the back of your head the way that Nico and Nate make plays look so effortless so for Drew and I think I've really enjoyed what I've seen from him in terms of his passing and his playmaking ability from that sense he's definitely looked like he's able to keep up with them speed wise I think for him the biggest adjustment is going to be maybe being a little bit more of a shooting mentality, knowing that, you know, these guys are also playmakers. They're going to be setting you up. Are you ready to shoot? Doesn't always have to be a passionate situation. Um, That being said, you know, we did get some looks with Lekin and on that top line in the San Jose game, because Drew and took that puck in the face later in the game and kind of missed a few shifts there. And coach Bednar has never been shy about figuring out who's going in a game and plugging them in on that top line because he wants to produce. He wants to have somebody playing at their best with Nate and with Nico. So it wouldn't be a shock to me if we do see throughout the beginning of the season different guys getting put in that position. But that being said, you know, considering the two games that we've gotten so far, I really liked what I've seen from Druen. And ultimately, you know, it's not an easy role. I think he does have the skills to keep up with it. Um, He's also not getting those looks on that top power play unit. And that's okay. I think he's doing a really good job with what he's got on his plate so far, but it remains to be seen. I think ultimately, and I was saying this to someone the other day, part of the decision bringing Drew in, I think, did come down to a little bit of Nate's influence with it. So I think as long as Nate is feeling like there's something there and that he's happy with that situation playing with Drew in, I think it's going to a lot come down to, to how he's feeling. If he doesn't feel like it's working, then they will make an adjustment because as we know, Nate kind of runs the show on that top line, as he should. Absolutely. And I, I, <laughs> I know it is suggested from time to time, um, but I am absolutely against splitting up McKinnon and Rantanen. And yeah. uh, the thing I liked about the first two games was Ryan Johansson, especially on faceoffs, looks like a second-line center you can win with, uh, having gone 12 and 6 against the Kings and 17 and 11 the other night against the Sharks. So uh, he has come as advertised, one of the premier faceoff men in the league and was one of those people 
uh, late in the game creating traffic in front of Blackwood. And what I really liked about Johansson is actually something I've noticed that I got to see more firsthand being on the road this last trip was the leadership role that I'm seeing him already be so comfortable with and taking on in between plays, constantly chatting with guys, skating over and making sure Georgiev is okay after his mask comes off. I mean, just a real captain vibe from him, taking ownership of, you know, he might be new to this team, but he certainly isn't new to this league. And just seeing that veteran presence and how comfortable he is already in that role. And, you know, I asked Bednar and Kale about it. They both talked a lot about how much chatter there is. This early in the season, this team just seems so comfortable with one another, and that's a really awesome sign because that's not something that necessarily can be taught. That's purely based on having the right personalities. So on top of all the on-ice things that he's really done well as advertised, what they're expecting from him, I think the, the, the role and the character that he's bringing in is not a surprise, but definitely a bit of a pleasant bonus, especially considering that we are going this season without Landis Cog. Looking at these uh, these first three games, including tonight, and the idea that you know that the third line has been essentially overhauled, the second line has had a, a very significant change with Johansson in the middle. Is there an advantage to having these three games on the road, where these guys can kind of get together and, and and get used to each other a little bit faster than you would when if you were comfortably starting the season at home? No question, and we've talked to the guys about it. I asked uh, Frederick Olsen, who's, of course, another mm-hmm. newer face to this team, uh, just what the benefit of starting on the road is for a guy who is new, for a guy like himself, and he immediately lit up saying it's huge. It's exactly like you said. It's this bonding you don't get when you're at home and you're kind of on your own schedule doing your own thing. These guys have been spending all this time together. They've had a couple of days off in between. I know they all went and golfed at Pebble Beach. Uh, the other day when they had an off day in San Jose. So those are things that are are super valuable early in the year for a new team. Combining that with the fact that you have a lot of guys who are really comfortable in their own skin, I think that they're just meshing very well early on. But absolutely, it can't be understated that it's definitely a benefit to have that road bonding time. There's also a little bit of a little bit less pressure, so to speak, when you're starting on the road. It's just You know, it's you against the world. You're playing in opposing ranks. There's that unifying bond of being in the enemy's barn. So a lot of different factors, I think, have been important for how this team has gotten a bit of an advantage with the interesting start to the season. I like the third period on opening night because of that goal they gave up uh, uh, in the final seconds of the second that might have caused uh, a lesser team to lose its poise a little bit. Uh, because the play was set up to give the avalanche the last shot, and it ended up uh, through a combination of circumstances uh, leading to a King's goal. But I was in some ways more impressed by how they kept from getting frustrated the other night. It took them 50 shots to get that tying goal, but they finally got it. And they were sound in the sense that once it was one to nothing, uh, thanks mainly to Georgiev, they didn't allow it to become two to nothing because then you're looking at a goaltender who's stopping everything you could see. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's one to nothing, you always feel you have a chance that law of averages will take over at some point. And of course, uh, when you have McCarr shooting the puck, uh, the yeah. law of averages is even more in play, isn't it? 
Yeah, no question. I mean, it was funny after the game with one of the quotes from Kale being like, you know, no, we never at any point thought we weren't going to tie the game. Yeah. I mean, talk about yeah. talk about an awesome level of confidence. And of course, why shouldn't you have that confidence when you're Kale McCarr or, or many of the guys that are on this team? But him saying that it was almost a little bit fun, the challenge of yeah. getting oh, you know, yeah. shut down and knowing they had to find a way but that they were going to. And I mean, they certainly pushed it for about as long as they could, making us all very nervous in the process. But just that that's kind of a small testament to the the attitude that this team that this team has. The confidence, the the understanding that there is no reason to ever hit the panic button because of the talent they have, because of the the, the confidence and the experience they have. So I loved hearing that from Kale. But when you look at the game itself despite being frustrated on the shots they put up and not scoring, I think it was easy for them to understand that they were playing their absolute best. They knew that other yeah. than maybe oh, not yeah, being able to finish well. a few, I mean, they were absolutely dominating. And we've all watched games like that where it somehow just seemed like no matter what you do, you're not going to score. But it, it, it was just nice to see that this group sort of picked up a little bit where they left off in terms of, you know, being whether it be in the postseason or in a situation where they're losing, not being afraid of a comeback, not being afraid of being down in a series because they have so much confidence in each other, in the group, and what they do. If they play their system, it will result in a win. They will get rewarded, and it was a perfect example of that. But game two in the season with a lot of new faces, to pull that off, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a group victory, and that has to be another thing that just really pulls them together and makes them feel good. During the start last year, and you were around the team all the time, when they started 2017-3, and and particularly toward the end of that stretch, right around midseason, there was some frustration exhibited by Georgiev uh, that Mm -hmm. even uh, affected some of his teammates. However, inadvertently, uh, you know, he uh, would get frustrated. And I'm, I'm... Looking at that and the way the players interacted, uh, at least the first half of the season, when they were getting to know Georgiev and he was getting to know them, and all goaltenders we know have quirks, uh, and, and, and you have to get to know them, the way they're talking about Georgiev now, I mean, Nathan McKinnon is singing his praises, talking about him as mm-hmm. if he's, he's clearly one of the premier goaltenders in the league, one of the top five, even if uh, ESPN's top 100 rankings include a bunch of goaltenders and don't include Georgiev, I would very much put him among the top five goaltenders in the league and certainly among the top 100 players uh, in the NHL. But just the way his teammates are reacting to Georgiev and his own sense of confidence, uh, insane, and I assume this has perhaps always been true, but still a confident statement that in the shootout, he doesn't want to hear anything about scouting reports. On the shooters, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to know anything. He wants to just react with a clear mind. And you saw that perfectly displayed by his ability to maintain such a sense of calm. And that was a difficult game for any goaltender because of the fact that there really weren't a lot of shots. 
we hear goalies say all the time they would truthfully prefer to have kind of that consistent flow of challenging shots to keep them dialed in, to help them get sharper as the game goes on. You see it all the time when a goalie is getting shots and making those saves. He seems to get better as the game goes on. So to keep your focus yeah, at all is, yeah. is a challenge. He did get but better. But for Georgiev, you know, making the saves he had to despite the lack of consistency – and then being that dialed in for the shootout, it's not even remotely surprising to me because his personality is so even keel and level throughout. He's emotional when it's said and done, but when it's the, when you're in the moment, when the game is going on, he yeah. he's, he's always very poised. So you had to love the reaction, right? Guys. After yeah, the shootout was, oh, uh, with sure. a fist well, bump. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. I love the reaction. For him. Yeah. It was fantastic to see him get that moment. It's sort of reminiscent of the, the big win he got in the shootout his first time back at MSG, which Absolutely. is one of my favorite moments last you're, season. You're right about that. So but, it's just a testament to his poise and, and not worrying about who he's facing, who's shooting, what their scouting reports are going to be. He's going to track the puck. He's going to follow his routine. And he's just going to rinse and repeat. And, and that's made him successful. I think because of the shadow of Shesterkin for, for whatever time he was in New York, it just felt like he never got the credit he was due. And last year, certainly 40 wins, he played incredible. But now this is his year to show, okay, I did that. Now let me build on it. Now let me prove that I'm not just good, I'm consistent. And that's when he's going to start getting, I think, the recognition that he has, in my opinion, already earned. We're talking with uh, Katie Goss of the Altitude Television Network and a good catcher on Saturday when the Avs uh, host the Hurricanes. But uh, Ivan Prosvetov collect, collected off of waivers from Arizona, and the presumption would be, at least out of Arizona, that if for some reason the Avs put him back on waivers, they'd like to claim him back. But now he finds himself in a spot where he is the backup goaltender, and the Avalanche need a little bit more from their backup goaltender than they were able to get last season. In, in Prosvetov's case, he's had only 13 NHL games. Oddly, three of those are against the Avalanche, so there is some familiarity, but how quickly do the Avs want to get him on the ice to find out if he is ready for the task or if they need to look for an upgrade at that position? Yeah, I mean, coming into the trip, they were carrying three, and I think ultimately the decision to keep him up there with the backup is is a combination of, A, wanting to see him play for sure, but, two, continuing to follow their process of development for, uh, for Onanen. Mm. And so sending him back, making sure he's getting practices and making sure he's getting playing time. Right. So they are still interested right. in him as a prospect. So it makes sense to play the guy off of waivers and see what happens as opposed to continue to let a prospect sort of waste away in the wings. That being said, I think what they really like about Prosvetov is that he is only 24 years old and there's a ton of opportunity there. He has the makings of what they want in terms of the size and the agility and at 24, you really don't know what you're going to get out of a goalie yet. His numbers up until this point, no, they're not amazing. You know, his AHL numbers were fine. But there's a lot of opportunity to still grow him and mold him and see what UC Parkola can do. And they've got a lot of faith in his ability, obviously, just giving him an extension heading into this season. So I definitely think it'll be interesting to see how that first game plays out. But I don't think that, you know, if it doesn't go great, they're going to start hitting the panic button and looking on, on waivers to find someone else because – Ultimately, I think there's sort of a plan in motion there. They want to give him some time with the coaches, see how he can develop. Um, he's got, you know, the Russian connections. He's got a friendship with uh, Valeriy Nachushkin. He's got some familiarity now with Georgiev. So 
they're going to build on that. Um, but like we've seen, I mean, Pavel Francouz is extremely valuable in these past few years. So they need someone that can step up. We don't want to see them riding Georgiev and tiring him out like we saw last, last year when he played 62. Yeah. Right. And you could tell how much better he was after he got that break. But you got to be able to win those games when he's not in that. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think his age and his size are really intriguing. And they obviously did their homework. Chris McFarland rarely doesn't. So at this point, it's all faith in C-Mac. And we'll see what happens when Prozbatov gets his first shot. She is Katie Goss. Make sure you give her a follow on social. Katie underscore Goss is G-A-U-S. And uh, as I pointed out, ringside all year for the Colorado Avalanche. And on Altitude TV and, and Katie, thanks so much for the time. We really love being able to chop up the game with you because uh, you have a really unique perspective on it. We really appreciate the time. And uh, this feels already like it's going to be a fun season. The roster's been assembled in a way now that they knew about the injuries where it feels a little more congruent than it did last season. So really appreciate uh, the opening this season out, and we're looking forward to talking with you more in a highly anticipated campaign. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Now let's go beat the Kraken. We all know we want to see that. Yeah, that would be nice to get a little measure of revenge. Thanks so much, Katie. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Uh, the idea with Prosvetov, by the way, and if you go look historically, at least in recent history, that Arizona's development of goaltenders has actually been pretty good. And Prosvetov's numbers in the AHL were not spectacular, but when you look at some of the uh, the more advanced metrics on it, because Arizona themselves, not a top team, you can presume their AHL team, also not a top team. A lot to like. Curious about that. And, of course, uh, Caleb Jones, who the Avalanche traded for and added as well likely to be the seventh defenseman to find out where he mixes in too, but they have a lot of depth. It is the top end talent though, for the avalanche that everyone pays attention to. And rightly so when we talk about top end, not just for the team around the whole league, ESPN ranked the top hundred players in the league. The avalanche placed four of them. Suffice it to say they weren't spread all over the place. We'll explain more next on my life sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Here comes Miko ranting it. He's got a huge bag of tricks, does the moose, and let's see what he's got. Rantanen is in through the top of the circle, shoots and scores! Miko Rantanen, he took his time and he flips it inside the far post past the glove. Miko Random with the goal in the shootout for the Avalanche leading to their win over the Sharks. They get the two points. An important one, Sandy, was you and I were talking at the break that, uh, and against a team like the Sharks, look, there's not the second game of the year is not must win. But when you're facing one of the worst teams in the league, you know you should beat them. It was just a matter of time. Just keep putting the shots on. And, uh, okay, great. Uh, San Jose walks away with a point against the Avs. They're probably feeling good, but they're not going to be in the mix. You don't care if the Sharks get a point. You wanted the two. Yes. That's all that matters. And uh, Rantanen, unlike Georgiev, does listen to scouting reports <laughs> and, and wants to know and was told by a teammate that Blackwood carries his glove a little low and he uh, found a place that very few others would have been able to find, admittedly, but uh, uh, shot over the glove and 
was rewarded, and that was the only goal in the shootout. He is a obviously very special player, and Georgiev made that stand-up, stopping all three shots. But the folks over at ESPN put together their top 100 list of they did. players in the NHL. Uh, you would figure, you know, each team basically, on average, you'd get about, uh, what, three per, right? Well, the Avalanche have four, and maybe that seems and like... could have more. Close. You could have more. And, and they, they and, could and, have Georgiev. And we'll talk good. about that. I think Georgiev could be on there. He is not. But here are the four. Number 75 overall, Devon Taves. Uh, Taves with the fresh off the new seven-year extension. Uh, as they said on the uh, the story of the ESPN, they formed one of the best pairings in the league with Kale McCarr. And I look I at it, I'm like, it one is, of? is the best. Yeah, one of? What are you talking about? Uh, and I thought Taves could have been higher than 75. Me too. Uh, but I also understand that maybe you don't want to stack these too much because if you want to go to the next Avalanche you player, you have to go uh, up, like up a ways, like to the guy we just heard about there, Miko Rantanen, who is ranked seventh but in the entire NHL. Wingers. First among all wingers, right or left, first among all wingers. Best winger in the it, league. Because he is the best winger Miko in the league. Miko Rantanen, and can, it, it, I listen, mean, you, you 55 can argue goals last year. And yeah. Kucherov was eighth. And, and you can argue Pasternak. And maybe even Matthew Kachuk, but yeah, I think Renton's the best Kachuk's of 11. the group. He's and it, the it feels to me, quite frankly, and I don't know where you go from 55 goals, but I mean, it feels like he's still ascending. And, and we we talked about this a bit during the, the break as well. I, I look at Renton's game, and because of, of the other two guys on the list, and you probably know who they are, we'll tell you, but it feels to me like Renton almost around the, uh, around the NHL fan base in the league is underrated, but this guy could play in any era. Big body. You knows how to use the body. Can go through you. Can skate around you. He's got great hands. He's got a heavy shot. Do basically everything you want on the ice. Rantanen is just, to, to my mind, remarkable. Last year, they had him ranked 24th. Now he's up to seven. And uh, the best winger in the league. That feels about right. But still, at the the level he's playing at. And you talked about the other guys that he's ahead of. Kucherov and, and Pasternak. And Kachuk, yep. um, these guys aren't chumps, and I'm not sure that virtually Caprice every up. team in the league wouldn't take Randon because he can do everything. Yeah, yeah, he can, and uh, he's he's a responsible checker. Yeah, um, I think McKinnon's defensive game perhaps has dipped a little bit, but you've got Randon on that line, and Randon is is nope. terrific, and yeah. Randon could center a line, but uh, as I said. Uh, uh, in our conversation with Katie Goss, I am uh, not in favor of breaking up no, those two. No, now injuries last year made it at times impossible to keep them together on the same line, even when both were healthy. But uh, I, I would think this year, if they're a healthier team, you you do everything possible to keep those two together, and uh, you assume that Duran will stay on that line at least for a, mm-hmm. a little while longer. Uh, you get 20 goals just by picking up their garbage. Well, and even if it doesn't work out, look, Lekkonen's been on that top line. It's worked. Nachushkin's been on that top line. It's worked. Sure. Uh, I think, quite frankly, when you're talking about that kind of player, if you really wanted to, it's been a while, but you could put Tatar on that top line next to those two guys, and it would probably work all right. You don't have to split them up. You you can make things work. on Now that they have more depth on the the second and third line, yeah. I think there are ways to make things, finagle things if you have to, that keeps that line together the whole season. Uh, how, how about this? You got the best winger in hockey. Mm-hmm. You got the best setter, non McDavid category. Yeah. And McDavid's in a league of his own. So you don't, you, you don't even. Nathan McKinnon, by the way, the conversation. number three overall well, in yeah. the entire NHL. But, but I'm saying 
among mortals. And there are times when <laughs> yeah, McKinnon uh, barely McKinnon looks like it. Does not look human. Some of the things he can do. But if you're rating players one, two, and three, McDavid's always going to be one. But in most cases, McKinnon, McCarr, McCarr, McKinnon, two and three. So you've got the best winger, the best defenseman, and the best center other than McDavid, which is about as much praise. I mean, McKinnon is, to me, ahead of Jack Hughes, been around mm-hmm. longer. Uh, Austin Matthews off to a great start in Toronto. McKinnon's better. Uh, Dreisaitl, uh, who does play at times with McDavid, but is basically a center, and they do split them up. Uh, he's got to be in the top ten, but he's listed as a center. Jack Eichel is a center. Um, well, Barkoff in Florida is a center. Uh, Pedersen, center. Sidney Crosby, a center. Of course. So all, all these guys are, are behind McKinnon. Great players, uh, Hall of Famers. And to have the best defenseman, the best winger, and other than McDavid, the best center. And you have the best defense tandem. I, I, I agree. You know, it's, I think it's the best. Listen, I, I'm sure they would acknowledge this. What When I looked at the list between 26 and 75, especially among defensemen, you can all but throw a blanket over yeah. all the defensemen and rate them in any order you want. You really can. And Taves happens to be 75th, but, uh, you know, he's he's ahead of some pretty good defensemen uh, on this top 100 list. Well, and those guys in the, in the top 25, you talk about Charlie McAvoy of the defensemen. Uh, of Boston, you go to the terrific Victor Hedman oh, at 18 yeah. overall. Well, you know Adam Fox Adam of the Fox Rangers. Adam Fox is 13, you know. but look at that gap. Adam Fox is the 13th best overall you player. Have to go all the way you up have to go to two, number two to, to get to Kale McCarr, who, quite frankly, among defensemen, we talk about McDavid's on a planet of his own. McCarr among defensemen is getting get into in that McDavid, yeah, like there's him yeah, and there's everybody yeah, else level. Right. I mean, it really is getting to that point. Right. This feels like McCarr's going to have 100 points this season if, healthy, I think if he's so. healthy. I um, think it's a 30, 70 year for him. I really yeah. do. Uh, it old, looks remarkable. Uh, it, this is a team that is so heavily stacked. But the interesting part about it is we talked about, you talked about Drysaddle. You know, number one is McDavid, rightly so. Drysaddle is sitting there at number six. Five of the top seven players, Sandy, are on the Avs and the Oilers. Yikes. Well, in the whole league. Yes. <laughs> the difference, though, is that Edmonton uh, did probably their best work the year the Avalanche swept them in the mm-hmm. conference final. They didn't even be able to get to the conference final. And that final was the challenge. The, that there was McDavid year. and Dreisaitl, well, and they just had nothing else. There's not, and the goaltending is, is still not reliable. And you can tell. And, and they got waxed. Home and home by the Vancouver. They're zero and two, and by the way, they scored two goals in game. Or pardon me, they gave it. They scored four goals in those two games and coughed up twelve. Yeah. And so I mean, if they don't and, get and better, listen, in listen, Vancouver's that, a pretty good team. Yeah. With it, with now a, a very good coach. Nothing against Bruce Boudreau, but Rick Tockett's a pretty good coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was an assistant here and uh, did did a pretty good job, I thought. And he's he's a good head coach. He has a good feel for the game. But I, I I look at Edmonton's situation, and, you know, it's two games. 
they'll be fine. Yes. But they're not missing the they playoffs did or anything. Not win permitting. the division last no, year. No, they didn't. Calgary and didn't. And it cost them because Las Vegas won the division and Las Vegas oh, won the Vegas won. won. Sorry. Oh, right. yeah. Calgary didn't make the playoffs. Correct. Um, uh, Nazem Kadri's on the list, but he's in the final 20. Calgary won the year the Avs won the cup. I, it I blurred for me. They, they won the Pacific the, two years ago when yeah. the Avs won the cup. Yeah. Right. Vegas won last and they year. Got worse on their last way to getting year, everything. Yeah, they very did. Very odd. Um, I I think in in the West, I I, I, I finishing thirty one seven and four as they did last year. I I think the Avalanche maintaining reasonable health will be the best team in the West. But after that, there are four or five teams, maybe more, that are very very evenly matched. And the the one team I see slipping some is in fact Seattle. Yes, because I, I, I thought they overachieved even during the regular season last year. Uh, Dave Haxtell, the former coach at North Dakota, did a wonderful job last year. Uh, no two ways about it, and did well during the playoffs. They they held their own against Dallas too, almost beat them in the in the series following the Avalanche, where you thought, nah, they're gonna have a letdown, right? And they really didn't. They they played very well and almost beat Dallas. They they have talent. Obviously, Eberle and, and Schwartz are, are are good. They they do have talent, but I, I agree with you. I just think they're a team that maybe they overachieved. Uh, they got hot at the right time. They are off to a, a bad start uh, as well. They oh, two oh, and oh, one. two and one with that overtime loss. Not quite as bad as the Oilers. But if, if you're the Avs, this feels like an opportunity to go get a game on the road. Start you know three and zero oh on the road. Get get yourself kind of together. Yeah. And, and as we talked about with Katie. A uh, little bit of bonding time, getting used to the guys, a little crash course to how each other likes to play. We talked about some of this with the Nuggets earlier and Christian Brown explaining to rookies, hey, Jamal Murray likes his his screens here. Yeah. It's not where you're used to. Same thing with, with with any sport. When you have teammates, you know, how where where do certain guys like to receive the puck? How where where does this guy skate when the pressure comes from this oh. side? How do they get there? And and it takes a, a little bit of time together to do that, both in the practice rink, but also you want to get used to the the player who you, you're gonna be you around every day. You and Katie talked about the middle six. Mm -hmm. And those are the guys who really haven't played together. No. Is it Johansson's new? And, of course, all three guys on the third line. Colton, Wood, and Tatar, all that. You got Wood, Tatar, and Colton, all new. And I thought against the Kings, the third line was better than the second line. And I thought it flipped the other night, which is fine. That's Uh, that's The third line wasn't quite as good. The second line was better. And, uh, you know, the Shushkin's on, on the ice for the. Uh, winning goal set or tying goal, which was effectively the winning goal because you knew it, 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 there's pressure on Georgiev not to allow the second goal because they 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 couldn't. Have but it felt two like Blackwood, Blackwood had to. But had to, once the Avs scored yeah. on Blackwood to tie it at one on one, you had a good feeling about either the overtime or the shootout. One one or the other, they were going to find a way to win, uh, and they did. Um, uh, Lackanen, uh, steady, solid, uh, and. Johansson took 28 face-offs, 10 more than he did against the Kings, and won 17 out of the 28. Very impressive. If that's I like really how Johan- what if he that's does, what he's got left in the tank, and that's that's 90 percent of what he has left. That's fine. Now, I I think face-offs can be overrated. Uh, it's it's a little like third-down conversions in football. You see a lot of losing teams who end the game with a better third-down conversion rate because they're throwing late in the game and um, it, you know, completions are a little bit easier to come by when uh, 
you're down 20 points and the, the other side just doesn't want you to score fast. They don't mind if you move the ball. Uh, it, it, face-offs in certain situations are important. And on, uh, he's not going to kill penalties because he doesn't have a lot of speed. But you can use him on a power play to generate possession time. Mm-hmm. And the Avalanche, once they get possession and control in the attacking zone on the power play, they're as good as any team. And you heard the description on the six-on-five, the extra attacker situation late in the game the other night, how they were moving the puck around six-on-five, which is a lot more cluttered than five-on-four, or certainly four-on-three right. is, and how well they moved the puck once they got possession of it. And this power play is going to be good anyway. If they have a face-off man like Johansson out there, Boy, that really changes things. It, it's it it could be north of twenty five percent for the year on the power play. When it when it comes to special teams, having that guy, which the Avs have struggled with for years now, of having a clutch face off man in those positions, and I get it. There's you can get into the advanced metrics and your Corsi stats and all that, and I think there's value for all of them. But uh, I'm inclined to agree with you, Sandy. For the most part in five on five, uh, with the exception of you know certain moments in the game, the who wins the faceoff is not particularly determinative. Right. However, power plays yeah. or penalty kills, yes, especially it, when important. they're in the other zone, yeah. it is important. And your chances of either coughing up a goal or scoring one go up when you either when you get that first possession. And actually, Rantanen is a little bit better than McKinnon yes. on, on draws. But McKinnon's been okay. The first, with McKinnon, if he wins anywhere near 50% of the draws, you're thrilled. You're thrilled. Because he's not He's not going to be taking as many face-offs as Johansson takes. Rantan can take face-offs and probably do it maybe even a little better than McKinnon. Uh, Colton should be okay on face-offs. Uh, they've been fine the first two games mm-hmm. on, on uh, face-offs, and they're always going to be an excellent And that's the beauty. If they're, if they're good enough, and then you have Johansson doing his thing in, in those power play and penalty kill moments, uh, then the skating ability of the Avs should have an opportunity to carry the day. It well, is, it's pretty exciting. You know, and, and and I know he's not fast, but he plays a smart enough game so that his speed can't be used against him. Now, again, on a penalty kill, yeah, he's not going to be out there a lot uh, because you, you need people who can skate. You need people like Logan O'Connor. His main strength is speed. It isn't certainly great hands because he doesn't have great hands, but he has speed. And he created a shorthanded chance Uh, the other night. O'Connor did. Yeah. And almost scored. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they he's he's been opportunistic. They they were very good uh, the other night killing penalties, even more so than the first game because they were creating pressure. And again, San Jose's not very good. San Jose does not have a very good power play. The Kings have a good power play. They have skilled guys. But that's the most heartening thing to me, and they're tied together in the first two games. The goaltending has been excellent, and the penalty killing has been perfect, and the power play will work over time. Yeah, just give it time. You know, they go from being 20 to 25% without great face-off men necessarily the last couple of years to now having a guy who can take draws and can create with his physique a barrier that the goaltender has to kind of look around and look under and uh when he and Nishushkin are out there together those are two big bodies in front of the net 
And when you have McCarr shooting from the point with pin, pinpoint accuracy, right. that's a that's a major strength. And McKinnon on the one-timers on one side and Renton on the other, they'll get their share of goals just by their shooting skill. They don't need screens necessarily. But McCarr is as good a shooter through screens as there is from the point on any power play in the league. Yeah, they're in good shape. We'll find out tonight. The Aztec on the crack at ESPN, so everybody who's got that can catch it tonight. Uh, puck drops at 8. Turn our attention real quick to the uh, the gridiron next, and why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. They're the book next door. Dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day Using the promo code Mile High, that one's pretty easy to remember because you know you're here already. So bet with the best and use promo code Mile High this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Well, the local football team. We talk about the old power rankings. Um, they're not thirty second. They're not dead last in the NFL. That's good, but they're um, they're close with good reasons. We'll talk about the Denver Broncos next on Mile High Sports. Oh, baby, you wanna dance till the sunlight cracks And when they say the party's over Then we'll bring it right back And we'll say, ooh, I love you This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar On Mile High Sports To make it a 60-yard attempt, Wilson left the football, rolling towards the sideline, picked up by the Jets, it's Hall, and he goes! That's kind of how it's gone for the Broncos this year, from a couple weeks ago when they lose to the Jets. Andrew Catalano on CBS. Yep, on CBS. Bryce, uh, Bryce Hall, not Brees Hall, he did his own damage, Bryce Hall, who... By the way, wouldn't have started except it wasn't for injuries for two right. of the Jets' cornerbacks. Yeah. Ends up getting the touchdown against the hey, Broncos. The, and the Jets won the other day against did. Philadelphia they without did. those two cornerbacks. And, you know, little by little, Zach Wilson looking not good. But I, thought, I thought he was better against the Eagles than he was against the Broncos. I, I do, too. And uh, the Broncos in the latest ESPN Power Rankings ranked 31st out yes. of 32 teams with Jeff Legwald, our pal here. And they uh, ranked 30th in DVOA Neat. collectively. So, Bro. yes, I, I mean, again, Denver, Carolina, the Giants are in the bottom three. You can order them anyway. Here's the the statement that by Jeff Legwald. He said, period. Great line. Here's, this, here's great, great line. This might be a far bigger rebuild than Sean Payton thought. Well, here's the funny part. Yes. I don't know. That's well, a little bit. I guess I do know why. But if Sean Payton would have called us immediately after uh, he started on the job, we would have warned him. Well, because we've been saying this we said all spring, this. all no. summer, every the year prior. Coach, every single coach since Kubiak has come in here with delusions of grandeur. Uh, Joseph, I guess you could somewhat understand. They had a winning record in 16. They're one year removed from the Super Bowl. But even Joseph caught on fairly quickly when oh, yeah. he said, Manny's not here we don't have any championship-ready quarterbacks, which was a good line and excellent assessment. Vic Fangio and, yeah, Nathaniel Hackett and especially Sean Payton, they have huge egos. And they all thought, rebuilding? Not with me as head coach, we're not. And that's that's my question. My concern for the Broncos, and we talked about it last week, 
They have two draft picks at the moment in the first four rounds. Now, granted, the, <laughs> they might be really high ones, but uh, as a matter of fact, the odds on the Broncos getting the first overall pick, roughly 12.5%, although I wouldn't count on that. Top five, 65.9%. That one sounds about right. That's about right. Uh, top 10, 92. That's happening. Oh. But yeah. they have two picks in the first four rounds. Now, all of a sudden, you you can trade Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. You're not getting top four round picks for him. Well, here's the latest. You're not. Everybody's doing, um, you know, we, we talk about mock drafts. I guess these are mock trades. Okay. And we talked about, I think ESPN had a piece uh, last Bill Barnwell week. had one last week. Yep. Okay. Uh, the Athletic had one today mm-hmm. oh, with a couple of guys, I think, participating. Two suggested Bronco trades. And, again, not the. These are going to happen this way, but these guys talk to people around the league. Yeah. You get a sense of a player's value. Well, you know who someone's at least curious about. Patrick Sertan. Yep. In this piece, does not bring a first. Now, the Lions just lost a cornerback to an ACL injury. Uh, the same guy who had an injured knee last year, torn ACL in the other knee. So they have Sertan going to Detroit but only for a 24 second and a 25 third. Nope. Not a first. Nope. From the Broncos. I laughed that out of the room. That's the only trade I think I can laugh out of the room, I but I laughed that Broncos one out of the room. I laughing anything, but I wouldn't make that trade either. I, I agree with that. All right. Here's, now, you notice the Eagles today who were thought to be maybe a team that might be interested in Jerry Judy. Let's mm-hmm. see. Well, they go and got Julio Jones. They don't uh, need Jerry Judy. Yep, but they're not interested now. And, you know, the word is getting out around the league that Jerry Judy is a cancer. In the locker room. He's a bad guy. He's a bad teammate. Mark Schlereth, a terrific Fox uh, analyst on the games, a former colleague of ours, mm-hmm. um, went off on Judy the other day, and I thought he was exactly right. He had a great line. He said, uh, uh, he, <laughs> you could say he trotted through his routes during the Kansas City game but that would be giving Trotting a bad name. He wasn't even that enthusiastic. And, you know, he gets into that pregame spat with Steve Smith of the NFL Network. Utterly ridiculous. He's one of those guys who's always on social media, uh, carping about something. He's, He's a cancer. He's at least as much of a cancer as Randy Gregory was. And they keep waiting for this guy to go off. Here, Here's the suggested trade. Ship him to Carolina, about the only team he could go to worse. where things would be worse. For a 24-3rd and a 24-6th. And you know what? I think that's what they might be able to get for Jerry Judy. I'm not sure it wouldn't be a 4th and a 7th. And you better be happy that you got two picks of any kind, even if they're two third-day picks, back for Jerry Judy. And I've heard it even suggested that Cortland Sutton, might, who's might not be able a to get more. flaming jerk, might bring more because he's not going to tear the locker room apart. It is a a bad situation. And, and here's the other part that's the, the challenge. Uh, how does the offense get better? Let me give you this. We're going to compare Peyton the other uh, talking about how they've got some kind of log jam at wide receiver. I guess somebody who's asked my Mims. Now? Wasn't playing more. He's, oh, we got a log jam. jam at wide receiver. Who's holding him back? Brandon Johnson? Are you kidding me? Uh, you can play Are three wide receivers. Are you kidding me? 
you you don't have a major league number one wide receiver in the wide receiver room. Not right Valley. now, you don't. Nope. And this guy is talking. I This guy must be trying to make up for, at least behind closed doors, having offended any number of players through his first eight or nine months on the job. Oh, you could you could tell that with his he, I'm I'm not discouraged by the loss to Kansas City oh, quote. Absolutely. You could tell that that's what that was. Absolutely. And say, well, we have a log jam at wide receiver. We have all these great receivers. Really now. So your quarterback throws for 95 yards. The worst you, performance but, of but, his career. But he's been under that twice, but both times were wins. Yeah. The worst performance of his career. Uh, certainly in a in a game that was lost. And, yeah, a lot of it's on him, but Judy dogs it. And, you know, Sutton's totally ineffective, except for the touchdown catch, which was nice. It was. Uh, But, you know, that's one play he's made that stands out in the first six weeks of the season. That's not exactly getting it done or establishing yourself as a – Top wide receiver. Let me, let me I mean, give it's you those. embarrassing how bad the numbers are. That's and Mims, Mims has qualitatively better numbers than either Sutton or Judy. Well, yeah, you look at it any way you want. Now, Marvin Mims in raw yardage is actually second on the team behind yes. Sutton by only by 29 few, yards. By a few yards. And he's ahead of Judy. And when you're talking about yards per catch, it's hilarious. Uh, Marvin Mims has 246 yards on 10 catches. Yeah. Sutton has 275 on 25. And, he and Judy and, are barely cracking 11 per. And Marvin Mims is 24. And then that, next on the list is Brandon Johnson with 122 total yards. Down there, you have to get past, by the way, I'm just going to talk about re- not wide receivers, just receiving. Sutton, Mims, Judy, P. Ryan with 184, Brandon Johnson, 122, Adam Troutman with 64 yards on 10 catches, mind you, 6.4. Then Julio McLaughlin, we can get to him in a minute. Then wow. Javante Williams. Then your next wide receiver, Lil Jordan Humphrey with 26 yards. Greg Dulcich has 25 yards, and he just came back from injury. Who's your wide receivers holding Marvin Mims up? I, uh, he's got a lot of uh, and that who well, it, only two other you, wide you receivers have catches. You McLaughlin, McLaughlin, he's the leading rusher on the team, averaging about six and a half yards. He's per even catch. with Javante Williams, 190 yards on about two thirds of the carries. Right. right. So I, I'm saying McLaughlin can't uh, get on the field. He's only the guy best with the touchdown back. on the ground, too. By the right. way, and Mims can't get on the field because they have a log though, jam yeah, in Peyton's mind. Quantitatively, arguably, your best receiver. And the funny thing is, those are Peyton guys, right? I mean, they're this draft and this and after signing after the draft, but they're Peyton guys. So what is going on there? Well, we'll talk about that more. Of course, we'll dig into that tomorrow. We'll also touch on the Denver Nuggets who have a preseason game tonight against the Clippers. Our, our own uh, Ryan Blackburn will join us tomorrow to talk about that. But we'll dig into all this uh, tomorrow as we get closer to the football weekend. Terrific uh, being able to talk about uh, all this. I mean, that's the thing right here. We get to do all your teams, so every team, every day. We'll look into if there's a story. We're on it. So thanks to Katie Goss of Altitude Television for joining us. Follow Katie at Katie underscore Goss. And of course, watch her on Altitude when you're watching 
the Avalanche games. They'll be on air Saturday versus the Canes. will be their first uh, broad, their next broadcast there for that team. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work. And thanks to you for listening, whether you're FM, HD, MileHighSports.com, or you made it easy on yourself to grab the Mile High Sports app where you can not only get this program, but every program, all the interviews, all the podcasts, all the coverage that Mile High Sports puts together. So, you know, grab the app. It's easy. We don't charge you for it. It's free. Just take it. Mile High Sports app anywhere you get your apps. We'll be back in just about 22 hours and uh, three minutes, roughly. Uh, but we do have to step aside. There's no reason you do, though. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you tomorrow. But keep it right here on Mile High Sports.